0: We are um, on a three-year journey through uh, the Bible, and these days we're learning about the end of the beginning, which is a series intended to look at Jesus' final days on earth leading up to the crucifixion. And uh, a few weeks back, we saw Jesus and his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, which is the northernmost uh, part of the region. And uh, we looked at at a passage there just prior to Jesus turning, or we would say today pivoting, and beginning his long uh, trek to Jerusalem. The scripture says he set his face for Jerusalem. And so the passage today is about him arriving at Jerusalem So we're covering a lot of ground quickly in these days, and so I just want to back up just a little bit today to chapter 18. I know you've turned to Luke 19, but if you glance your eyes back to Luke chapter 18, and I want to read with you verses 31 to 34, and uh, it says there that, uh, taking the 12, uh, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. And then look at verse 34. It says, uh, but they understood none of these things. This say- saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So those are important uh, some important context for the passage today so this is chapter 18 that we just were reading in and, and we want to be looking at uh, chapter uh, to those verses in chapter 19 today so uh, just maybe just pause with me for just a moment and pray with me will you father in heaven I thank you for your word today we thank you for your word we thank you that you are um, able and willing to speak through your word we thank you that we can depend on what you say in your word that you've given it to us so that we can know we can know you and your will for our lives so help us today by your spirit uh, that you might enlighten our understanding that we might see you for who you are and see your ways as the only way for us to move forward and have the grace and peace that we so desperately need in our world and in our lives this day. We just commit this time of, of uh, study and sharing to you, and thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at a map. This is a map of um, uh, the, the uh, land of Israel, and you can see there, right in the very center, you see the city of Jerusalem, and uh, you can see uh, Jericho off to the, uh, it would be your top right, so it would be to the... The, uh, to the east of Jerusalem. And you can see Bethany there. And uh, those are the places where we're focused on as Jesus has made his way with his disciples down the Jordan Valley and is about to ascend up to the city of Jerusalem. Let me show you a uh, topographical map that will help you appreciate this a little bit more. So I realize that that's not uh, really easy to see, but it's, uh, it gives you a little bit of a feel. You can see the Dead Sea there, and you can see the Sea of Galilee to the north, and you can see uh, where uh, Capernaum, and then Caesarea Philippi is uh, up far to the north of that towards Syria. Uh, but then down in the bottom by the Dead Sea there, you see uh, where the, the Jordan Valley uh, comes uh, down sends down, and then uh, Jerusalem, and uh, the the climb. You you'll notice as we read our get into our text today, you'll notice that uh, the text says that Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and when he says up, uh, you know it's not a straight line, because uh, this is rugged terrain. Um, one more picture I'll show you. Just uh, this picture is taking taken on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And if you look to the far right, you see on the far right of that photo, you see those structures? That's Jericho. So when the text says he he was going up to Jerusalem, he was going up to Jerusalem. And it was quite arduous arduous, uh, of a journey. That's why the story of the, the... Uh, Good Samaritan is set on uh, that road because it was a favorite hideout for bandits and robbers to uh, attack people and beat them up and steal their money. And uh, Chapter 18, again for a little bit of context, after the passage that we read a moment ago where Jesus says to his disciples, this is what's going to happen. The next passage uh, in chapter 18, uh, verse 35 begins, as he drew near to Jericho. And it's followed by the story of Bartimaeus. We call him blind Bartimaeus because he was a blind man. And if you will recall, Jesus gave Bartimaeus back his sight, which caused a great stir, as you can imagine. And then after the story of Bartimaeus, As we come into chapter 19, the very first verse in chapter 19 says that as he entered Jericho, so now the Lord is is entering the city of Jericho, and you may recall, maybe that's where he meets a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see Jesus. I know you're all singing now, right? He climbed up in the sycamore tree to see Jesus because he couldn't see over top of people's heads because great crowds of people were, were gathering by this time. And Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' home. And uh, we're told that Zacchaeus uh, welcomed him uh, with, uh, gladly, joyfully, and Uh, Jesus' words, summing up his visit with Zacchaeus, introduce a parable, which is the last passage right immediately before our text. So that's important. So listen listen take a look at these words Luke chapter 19 9 to 11 it says and Jesus said to him this is Jesus talking to Zacchaeus in his house he says today salvation has come to this house since he also talking about Zacchaeus since he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost and as the they heard these things he proceeded to tell a parable Because he was near Jerusalem, and because they supposed, or they expected, that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Uh, Last week, and over the course of many weeks, we've been talking a little bit about expectations, because our expectations are such a big issue as they relate to our faith. What kind of faith are we expected to have? So those would be important questions. Verses 12 through 27 of chapter 19, it's a parable. And we're told in verse 11 why Jesus told the parable. Did you catch that? He told the parable because they were uh, near Jerusalem and the people were expecting that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. This is extremely important context. So he tells them the parable. It's the parable of the ten minas. If you haven't read it recently, I would encourage you to do that. Because it's all about what the servants of the king should be doing while they're waiting for the king to come again. And uh, it's about how we're not just waiting, we're actually investing in the kingdom to come. That's all really, really important stuff for us. Um, again, the purpose of the parable, Jesus uh, is, is spelled out there really clearly uh, as Jesus introduces the parable. And so Jesus is here clarifying what our expectations should be as he is approaching Jerusalem. And so, again, we're covering a lot of of ground fast here. Uh, Two chapters back in chapter 17, uh, take a a look at 17, 20, and 21. I realize that we haven't started reading our main passage yet, but, but, but look at that context. Luke 17, 20, and 21, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And commentators have pointed out that the kingdom of God was in their midst because Jesus was in their midst. And the kingdom of God is all about the presence and power of God in our, in our lives. And um, But I, uh, I, I think you know, this is a really clear statement that Jesus is making on how we should expect the kingdom to come. Think about that. Think about all the ex- expectations that we have of, of uh, what should be happening in our world and, and how uh, uh, things should be uh, functioning and what we should be seeing and what we should be observing and, and uh, you know, all the expectations we have about how the kingdom of heaven should be coming on earth. And here Jesus is making a a very clear statement uh, in that regard. And uh, he's been proclaiming the kingdom of heaven from the very beginning. If you go back to Luke chapter 4, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry there, or if you go over to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, or you can go to Matthew as well, Jesus has been proclaiming right from the very beginning. He's been proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. Of God, and uh, the problem, however, <laughs> is that there is a sharp contrast between the people's expectations and what Jesus is going to do. And I have to say to you that it's probably been that way for the last two thousand years. There is a sharp contrast between uh, people's expectations, our expectations, and what Jesus is going to do. Um, And that truth is central to what this passage that we are focusing on today is all about, as we're going to see. Someday, in a moment like lightning, Jesus will return to this earth. Resurrected, glorified, coming king. But between now and then, is Christ building his kingdom? What should we expect to see in our day? What Jesus is doing. What's he doing in your life? Let's get into our passage. It's Luke 19:28 to 40. And when he had said these things. What things? The parable. Which he said why? Because they were expecting that the kingdom would suddenly appear. When he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they are untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, just like that. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Sounds like the Christmas angels to me. Does it sound like the Christmas angels to you? It's the same kind of song, isn't it? And some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he, I tell you, he answered, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So in our narrative, our story of Jesus coming to Jerusalem, the expectations are building. It's reaching almost a fever pitch. People are breaking out in exuberant expressions of praise, and they're rejoicing, and a great throng of people are are shouting, and they're shouting out, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew says they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna means save now. And the son of David is a messianic title, the promised one, the one we've been waiting for all these generations who would save his people from their sin. they they're, they're shouting and, and they're running and they're cutting down uh, palm branches and they're laying them on the ground in front of Jesus to ride over and they even are taking off their jackets and, and laying them on the path in front of him as he comes. And verse 37, it says, it's because of the mighty works that they had seen. It was just the other day that he raised a man from the dead we learned about that last week, the raising of Lazarus. And then, and then just, just, just a, a little bit ago, blind, a blind man, Bartimaeus, just outside of Jericho, they had all heard by now. Yeah, they were super excited, wouldn't you be? And the disciples are right in there with all the people. The text says the disciples were right in there celebrating with everybody else, Remember in chapter 18, it says when Jesus tried to tell them what was going to happen, they they couldn't receive it. So they're they're all just praising God, Said this is the most incredible thing that we could ever expect. The kingdom of God is coming. The king is here. Well, they weren't all excited about that. Um, As you know, the Pharisees, (laughs) they weren't rejoicing. And uh, (laughs) remember what they said when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? They said, this is a paraphrase, but they basically said, oh, great. Now he's raised somebody from the dead. If we don't stop this guy, everybody's going to believe in him. That's what they said. You can check it out in John chapter 11. And uh, so they they say to Jesus, you know, you need to rebuke this crowd. You need to tell these people to stand down and stop and just... And Jesus says, (laughs) if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, up to this point, Jesus has declined every attempt to publicly honor him as the Messiah King of Israel. He had consistently said, don't make a show, just keep it on the QT. But not today. Today, he says, if these were silent, the very stones of the earth would cry out. Today, he is unequivocally presenting himself as the king. Take a look at this passage, Zechariah 9, nine. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's right. Jesus is fulfilling the Prophecy, Old Testament prophecy to the letter. There's no mistaking this. He's not. He's not kind of uh, being uh, kind of you know a shaded kind of revelation here. He's coming right out and making a full presentation of himself to the nation of Israel, to the capital of Jerusalem, the holy city of God. I am the King. I am the Messiah. You know, we we, traditionally we refer to this passage as what Palm Sunday, Sunday, because of all the palm uh, branches, and uh, we also refer to it as the triumphal entry. What a scene it must have been! But they reached the the crest of the Mount of Olives and we see another striking contrast there's the contrast between what people are expecting and what people what Jesus is going to do but there's a striking contrast as Jesus begins to descend the mount of olives towards Jerusalem between the throngs of people rejoicing and Jesus who begins to cry Starts to cry. Last week, Josh was in uh, uh, led us through uh, John chapter eleven, which has that's the shortest verse in the Bible. Remember that, which says Jesus wept. And last week, Josh encouraged us to ask the question. You know why? Why did Jesus weep? Why was he Why was he weeping? And we could ask that same question here today. You know, why was he weeping? He told the disciples more than once in recent days especially, even that passage we read earlier from the previous chapter, that he was going to be what? Rejected. He wasn't going to be received as king or welcomed as king. He was going to be rejected. He was going to be flogged, humiliated, beaten, and crucified. But here's the thing. Jesus was not weeping about that. He wasn't weeping for himself. Take a look. The last four verses of the passage that we're Concerning ourselves with today, Luke 19, 41 to 44, it says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, And surround you and hem you in on every side. And tear you down to the ground. You and your children within you. And when they will not leave one stone. Upon another in you. Because you did not know. The time. Of your visitation. These are not. Just. Little tears escaping from the corner of his eyes and running down his cheek. Commentators say that the Greek words here suggest the heaving of the bosom. You ever, you ever wept like that? You ever felt your insides churning and, and heaving? One commentator, uh, language commentator, says it's the cry of a soul in agony, but not for himself. He's weeping over the city and the people right in front of him. They had had three years almost of opportunities to recognize him. What, what kind of opportunities? Over and over and over again, Jesus said the things and did the things that the Messiah would do all of those healings, all those acts of mercy and grace. And they had had so many opportunities to recognize him as their long-awaited Messiah, to put their faith in him, to welcome him, to receive him as their rightful king. But because they rejected him and the revelation of God that he brought over and over, they became hopelessly blind. Part of it was how he didn't meet their expectations. He promised a kingdom. He preached a kingdom all along, but it was a different kind of kingdom. They wanted a warrior king like David who would come in and subdue their enemies coming down on the, the, uh, the iron fist of Rome with an iron rod. But Jesus wasn't preaching revolt. He wasn't preaching revolt against earthly authorities. He wasn't preaching overthrow. He was preaching submission. He wasn't riding a war horse. He was riding a donkey. He was offering a different kind of kingdom, made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation. It was an everlasting kingdom. I should say it is an everlasting kingdom, but it's a kingdom, uh, and it's a kingdom of peace, but it's a kingdom of peace that comes from our humbling ourselves, and serving, and suffering, and submission, Not through ruling or vindication or force. Listen to what Jesus would later tell Pilate. He looked Pilate right in the eye and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. You can read that in John chapter 18, verse 36. See, they were looking for for judgment and wrath upon their enemies, not realizing that we are all enemies of God because of our sin. And they rejected him, and they rejected the message that he brought, not realizing that the kingdom of heaven is not a political kingdom. Isn't it ironic, because they reject the Prince of Peace and his ways and his message of peace, the authorities that they want to see crushed will one day crush them. We don't know this from Scripture, but historical records, other historical records, maybe I should say, describe in horrific detail the events that took place in Jerusalem Approximately forty years following these words from Jesus, and if you haven't read it lately, you would be advised to even read the Wikipedia version. If you simply go on online and t- go to your search engine and type in uh, something like uh, uh, the, the besieging of Jerusalem uh, in eighty seventy. Uh, by Titus, Emperor Titus. You can read the reports of uh, the historian Josephus there as he describes in detail how the powerful iron fist of the Roman government came into Jerusalem and besieged that city and totally destroyed that city, leaving not one stone upon another, including... The temple. I would encourage you to read it. It's not an easy read because it was brutal. Dave, if you could bring up that that other photo there. This is a photo taken from the Mount of Olives. And uh, as the Mount of Olives descends towards Jerusalem, maybe we don't have that picture, but as the Mount of Olives descends towards Jerusalem, Um, you you can see in in this picture, do we have the picture? Oh, okay, it's just not on my my screen, okay. Uh, So, um, the Dome of the Rock, do you see it there? The The mosque? The Dome of the Rock sits on the ruins of the temple in Jerusalem. In A.D. 70, Titus, who would become emperor, leveled the city, leveled the temple. You could call it judgment, I guess. But the way it's written here in the tears of Jesus, it's described more as an inevitable sequel. Or an inevitable consequence of their rejecting the only real hope that there is for peace. The long awaited Messiah, King, the Promised One, the Son of David, the Son of God, had come to visit them and they didn't recognize him. They rejected him and they blindly sealed their fate, losing the only hope for peace that they had. Just stay with me a little bit here as we ponder these things because they're, they're so important to us. You know, there's coming a day when it says that Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. There, that day is coming, but not Today. Today, we are living in what is often referred to as the age of grace, or using biblical language, you could could call it the day of grace, because when the Bible uses the word day or it says the the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is not a literal 24-hour period, right? It's just God's way of signifying and distinguishing a period of time. And people often, you know, say, "Well, where's the promise of his coming?" You know, we, you know, it's been two thousand years since Jesus left the earth. For the last two thousand years, we've been living in the day of grace. Just, just stay with me a little bit longer because this is such an important thing that we're talking about here. Come with me back if you will, to Luke chapter 4. Now, this is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, okay? This is at the very beginning. And he's in the synagogue. You might remember this because Josh preached from Luke chapter 4 a few months back. He's in the synagogue, and they hand him the scroll of Isaiah. Remember this? And he opens the scroll of Isaiah, and he begins to read from the scroll of Isaiah. And he reads these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And the recovering of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Remember grace means favor. Unmerited favor. And then he stops reading. Right there. Mid-sentence. He takes the scroll, rolls it up, gives it back to the attendant, goes and sits down, and it says there every eye was on him. And he opened his mouth, and this is what he said. He said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today. This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What did it mean by him stopping there? He was signaling something. And what he was signaling is this. He was saying to you and to me and to the people that were listening to him that day that while the day of the Lord's judgment and wrath is coming, that's not today. Because today is a day of grace. Today is a day of peace. When God is offering peace on his terms, and his terms are Jesus as suffering Savior, this is the day or the age of grace. If he had kept reading, do you know what the next words in Isaiah's scroll said? These are the next words that he didn't read. And the day of vengeance of our God. But he stopped there. Why? Why didn't he read those words? I believe with all my heart it's because Jesus wanted them to know and he wants us to know. That while a day of judgment is coming. Today is the day of peace and grace offered to us in the person of Jesus, as our Savior, our, the suffering servant, the one who humbled himself, who didn't come with a rod of iron, he came with a towel, and get down and wash the disciples' feet. He came not as an adversary, but as a friend, and today, today today he offers himself to us not as an adversary but as a friend not in war but in peace meek and lowly and humbly and weeping and suffering and dying even ezekiel the old testament prophet he says the lord has takes no delight in the death of the wicked Peter tells us in his, uh, his letter that God is uh, not slack, as some men count slackness, but God is long-suffering, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. When Jesus returns bodily to this earth, that will not be a day of grace that will not be a day of peace. And it's not wrong, beloved, it's not wrong to talk about a day of reckoning. It's not wrong to talk about a day of judgment. It's not wrong to talk about and think about the wrath of God and and hell. It is not wrong because there is coming a day when Jesus will return and he won't be coming in grace and peace. It says in the book of Revelation that he will rule with a rod of iron. Those days are coming, but not today. Will it be tomorrow? I don't know. It says nobody knows the day nor the hour when the Son of Man returns. But Paul will later write these words. Today is the day of salvation. I want, to, I want to end this, this morning by actually going back to the beginning of chapter 19. Because as I mentioned earlier on, when Jesus came into Jericho before he ascended up to Jerusalem, he met a man there named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is intended for us as a wonderful picture in contrast to everything we've just been talking about. When Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem one other time, and you don't have to turn there, but in Luke 13, there was another occurrence where Jesus was weeping over the city because they were rejecting him. And he said, at one point, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have taken you and gathered you under my arms like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. And he says there, Your house is left to you desolate. Do you remember that reading that? It's back in chapter 13. When Jesus comes into Jericho and and Zacchaeus climbed up that tree to see Jesus, and Jesus looked up in that tree and he said, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down because what? 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 I'm going to your house today. And Zacchaeus, Scripture says, received him gladly. It's verse 6. Luke 19, verse 6. Zacchaeus received him joyfully. And as the story of Zacchaeus ends, just before Jesus rides into Jerusalem, Jesus says this. He says, today salvation has come to this house for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost what about you is jesus rejoicing over you or is he weeping for you what do you do when jesus comes to you Because Jesus is knocking on your door right now. This is the age of grace. He's coming to you in peace and he's offering you peace. And if you reject his offer of peace, he weeps for you because he sees your future. And he knows a day is coming when there will not be one stone left on another in your life. So, what do you do when Jesus comes knocking on your door? What do you do when Jesus comes to your house? You know, it's never quite what we expect. Because when Jesus comes to us, and when Jesus reveals himself to us, it's never quite the way we would expect. Therefore, there's always an element of surprise. Kind of takes people off guard. It's like, whoa, I thought, I thought all this talk about God and Jesus was just, you know, Whatever. What are you going to do? Let me pray with and for you. Would you do that? Lord, I thank you for each one who is considering these important scriptures today. I thank you for our church family. And I thank you, Lord, for any and all those who may be thinking through these, these portions of Scripture today, and, and they have yet to bow the knee of their heart and receive you as Savior and Lord of their lives. I thank you, Lord, that you see our future. And I thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word so that we can know you, and we can know what we need to do when you knock on our door. I just pray, Lord, that even right now you would be revealing yourself and your truth and your grace to, to all of us. I thank you, Lord, that you went on to the cross and you suffered and you died so that we could be forgiven. It was all part of your plan, Lord, to extend your grace to us. I pray that you'd be creating faith in people's hearts right now. Create the faith in our hearts right now, Lord, that we might embrace you. I think of what John the Apostle said in John chapter 1. He came into his own, but his own received him not, but to as many as received him. To them he gave the power to become the children of God. I pray, Lord, that today that, you, that many people would become children of God right Ray today. rate today because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of peace, the day of grace. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you that you promised that if anyone comes to you, you, you will not turn one away. Thank you that for your grace and your mercy and your love, we accept it, we accept you, Lord, and we worship you today, and we praise you as we go forward to see what you're going to do in our lives as you build your kingdom in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.